John chapter 6 tells us of another time where we see thankfulness expressed. And so I want to read that to you here this morning. Um, This is a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. In case you didn't know, we've got our 12 baskets up here. Jesus fed the 5,000. It's one of the most popular Sunday school stories in the Bible. So even if you aren't a Christian, even if you haven't been in uh, church culture or church circles much growing up, you've heard of this story. Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and there we go, two fish, two fish. Fun fact for you. This is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the only miracle that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Besides the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four, speak of. And now we see some of the other miracles that Jesus performed in in just one of the books or in two or three of the books. But this is the only one that appears in all four of the Gospels. Uh, so I don't know if that means anything to me. I, I choose to think that that means that there's something special that we should uh, dive into and look at here. I don't know. Maybe it's just coincidence, but we're going to look at that right here from mainly from the book of John, but we will also look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. Poor Philip. (laughs) He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, I love Philip. He's, He's the mathematician of the group, apparently. He's the smarty pants. He's the brains of the operation there. He says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this, I'm going to read just these last two scriptures. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills to be by himself. My kind of guy. I love it. I love it. Jesus is always going camping. I love it. I'm that kind of, I'm, (laughs) I'm with them right there. Let me just go off into the hills and be alone for a little while. Wow, y'all, this is a fascinating story. And it's incredible to me that, that the Holy Spirit would choose to inspire four different people to record this one event right here. And so we're going to give a little bit of attention to that this morning. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Point number one, give thanks for what is not enough. Ooh, give thanks for what is not enough. It says in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish. He gave thanks for the fish, 
distributed them among the people, and they all ate as much as they wanted to. John uses this word right here whenever he describes Jesus giving thanks. He uses the Greek word eucharisto, eucharisto, which means to express gratitude. It's what we talked about last week. It's an expression of the gratitude that's within you. It's, it's pushed outwardly. It's showing, it's performing an expression to someone else that you are thankful. Church, if we could just learn that one simple biblical principle in our lives, can you imagine how much peace, Brother Don talked about it today, how much peace we could experience in our homes if we as a family unit within our houses, our, our children, our, our parents, our, our grandchildren, if we could learn to be a thanksgiving people, can you imagine the peace you would experience? Can you imagine the joy you would experience? Come on. My goodness. John tells us that Jesus, Eucharistio, he expressed his thanksgiving. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they used a different word. Whenever they tell their story or their perspective of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all explain that Jesus blessed the food. He blessed the food. It's a completely different word that they use. It's a Greek word, again. And this word is eulogio. Eulogio. Have you, has anyone ever been to a funeral before? Have you ever looked in the, the uh, pamphlet, the order of events there, and seen that the pastor gives the eulogy? It's where we get our word eulogy from, eulogio. These words right here, you means good. Logio or logos is where we get our word, word. So whenever the pastor gives the eulogy, he is giving a good word. He's sharing a good word about our loved one who has passed away. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are using this Greek word meaning good word. Jesus held up the five loaves of bread and two fish, and he blessed it. He gave a good word. Y'all know me. I got to bring something here so that we can just see it. I, I was looking around the church not too long ago for some, some fake fish to illustrate this. Couldn't find any, so went this morning to Walmart and bought some rainbow trout, and Emily seared it up for me. So we've got our five loaves. Oh, it smells so good, too. We've got our five loaves of bread and our two fish. And Jesus, the Bible says that he lifted it up and he eulogio. He blessed it. He spoke a good word over this. Are y'all ready for this? <laughs> Listen, church. Jesus took one young boy's lunch and he spoke a good word over it. And God in his infinite abilities caused this lunch to multiply, to feed up to somewhere around 20,000 people. We say Jesus fed the 5,000. It's because back then, if you were numbering a crowd, you only counted the men. And the men numbered 5,000. We see from the four accounts that we read that there were 5,000 men. Matthew is even specific to mention that that's not counting the women and children. So uh, people estimate there could have been around fifteen to 20,000 people. And Jesus fed them with one boy's lunch. He spoke a good word. Can I encourage you with something today? You may feel that what you have in your hand is not enough. You may feel like whatever you have to give God is not enough. And, and listen, I, I feel you. God is worthy of everything and more that we could ever possibly give. But I love what Jesus does. He takes one schoolboy's lunch 
and he lifts it up and he blesses it. He speaks a good word about it. And that good word causes this food right here to be blessed and to be multiplied, to feed around 20,000 people. That's incredible. I don't know if you're getting, I don't, I don't know if you uh, grasp the impact of this right here. I think what Jesus is doing is he's teaching his disciples a very important biblical principle that we all should take away from this this morning. We need to learn how to give thanks, even when we feel that what we have is not enough. Mm. I know y'all don't struggle with this, but I do. I struggle whenever I feel as though I don't have enough. I don't tend to have a thankful attitude towards, I tend to have a complaining attitude. I don't have enough. God, how come the economy is so whack and I can't go to Walmart for less than $200? How come it, it seems that no matter what I do, there's never enough. There's always lack. Yeah, that's just me. I, I know y'all are wonderful. I love it. Y'all teach me how, to, how you do it. But I don't, I, it, I find it difficult to thank God whenever what's in front of me looks like it's not enough. But Jesus, he gives them this wonderful, wonderful visual teaching right here. As this whole crowd and all of these shocked and stunned disciples are looking at Jesus as he lifts up one boy's lunch and speaks a good word about it, gives thanks expresses his gratitude for it. He teaches a wonderful, wonderful message with just that one simple act right there. And church, what would it be like if we could learn to look at what we have and be able to speak good about it? Speak a good word. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself, y'all. I know, I know you got this, but I'm preaching to myself. Just before this story, in Mark's account of Jesus feeding the multitudes, Mark tells us that Jesus was in his hometown, Nazareth. And as he was there, he tells us that there was no honor being shown to him while he's there. And I want you to notice what Mark says about it in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says, then they, the people, they scoffed. They said this, listen, this is what they said. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus, where is he at? Come on, y'all, I'm used to my youth group right here. Where is he at? He's in his hometown. He's at home. And everyone's looking at him as Jesus is teaching. And as he's desiring to perform the miraculous things of God, and everyone's looking at him like, this is, isn't this just Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Now, I, I have to mention this to you. That's an insult. I know right now, especially in a, a lot of denominations, Mary is, is highly exalted. And in our culture now, we look at her with, with so much admiration, as we should. But whenever they say, isn't he the son of Mary? That, they're not complimenting Jesus. They're insulting him. Why? Because these people knew Mary. And they knew Mary's story. And they had heard from Mary's mouth that she conceived a child while she was still a virgin. Can you imagine how many people in her hometown bought that story? It would be hard for me if someone said, hey, listen, this is going to sound weird. But I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it is weird. It's only ever... We take it by faith right now whenever we read it in the word of God. But imagine being there in that moment. They say, hey, I promise, I promise. Sure, Mary, sure. Isn't this just the carpenter? Isn't this the son of that lady? Don't we know his brothers and aren't his sisters living right here amongst us? It says they scoffed. And I want you to notice what it says at the end of verse 3. It says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. That breaks my heart. I can't imagine what it did to Jesus' heart. 
Skip down to verse 5. It says, And because of their unbelief, he, Jesus, couldn't, not didn't, not wouldn't, Jesus could not do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. Your version might say he marveled at their unbelief. Do you know the Bible only tells us of a couple of times where Jesus was amazed, where he marveled at something. And he, he didn't marvel at the beautiful waterfalls in nature. He didn't marvel at the incredible creations of the human hand. He didn't marvel at someone's uh, intellectual abilities. The only times he marveled was whenever someone who shouldn't did have great faith, or in this case, when someone who should have faith did not. They refused to believe. Wow. Listen, I think what Jesus is doing whenever he lifts up the bread and the fish and he gives thanks and he speaks a good word about it, I think he's teaching his disciples and the people there that if you would develop this heart of thanksgiving, it will put so much faith inside of you that you're going to see the miraculous happen all around you. We should be a people with an expectation that God is up to something, that God is... He is not just a, Brother Billy says it all the time, he's not about to do something. He's doing something right now. Where is your heart? Where is your expectation? We should be the most thankful people, church. Come on. Give thanks for what is not enough. I think what Jesus is doing is he's showing us that our blessings, they don't come from human effort. God does not bless us based on what we accomplish for him or any works that we can perform. In fact, you see in the Gospels, Jesus moved just a couple of times out of compassion. But he moved every time when someone came to him with a heart full of faith. (laughs) Where's your expectation, church? Because if you're looking at what you have and the only things you have to say about it are bad things, you're not able to look at what God has given you and say, God, this doesn't feel like a lot, but I know that it's enough. Because if I can just put it in your hands, you can bless it. Hmm. Write this down, point number two. Bring what you have to God. Bring what you have to God. Jesus testing Philip. He said, hey, where where are we going to buy enough bread to feed all these people? Philip started freaking out, (laughs) y'all. He was, oh my goodness, Uh, let me see here. Uh, uh, It's going to take, he did the math. In, In the other gospels, they tell us that it would have taken 200 denarii. One denarii is a person's wage for a day. Philip does the math, looking at all the people. He's over there ciphering. Jethro Bodine over there getting his ciphering down. (laughs) Some of you are like, really, Jethro? Or Jethro Rethens? That's all right. And he's looking at these people, and he comes up to the conclusion that it would take 200 days of hard physical labor for a person to buy enough food for everyone there to have just a small bite that's how precise his math was. wish I knew this guy. He sounds incredible. Can you imagine six months of hard labor just so that everyone there could have just a small bite? What did Jesus do with five loaves of bread and two fish? He fed not only the whole multitude, but he fed them to their stomach's content. It said they were all full. They were all satisfied. Come on. And all it took was one young boy to bring what he had and give it to God. And I've always wondered, it says that uh, John credits Andrew with being the person that found this boy. And so I can just imagine Andrew, like he's walking around, he's like, how are we going to do this? Jesus told us to feed them. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they come to Jesus. Hey, the people are hungry. What does Jesus tell them? You feed them. You feed them. Can you imagine being the disciple? Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? 
Do y'all remember where they are at this present moment? The middle of nowhere. They're not in any town. So what do the disciples do? They come to Jesus. They're like, hey, listen, I don't think this is going to work. Why don't we send them away so that they can go into the nearby villages and get some food and sleep for the night? And I think so many times we look at the disciples and think, wow, that's kind of wrong. of That's kind of messed up. But I want you to think about it like this. They're thinking about the needs of the people, right? Let's send them away. We don't want them to be here hungry. Jesus says, you feed them. Andrew's running around. How are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for this? What, what is it going to cost? What, I mean, where can we find? We're in the middle of nowhere. Where do we get this food? And I can imagine he sees this little boy. This little boy is, is sitting down and, and unwrapping his food. And Andrew is like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, kid. You going to eat that? <laughs> can, can you come with me? I want to introduce you to someone. Bring that. Don't leave that. Bring it. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Jesus. That's all I got. <laughs> That's it right there. It's just five pieces of bread and, and two fish. But what is that among so many? And I can just imagine. Y'all, y'all got to be imaginative. I, I think so many times we just read the Bible as just being the stale boring, dry. You got to use your imagination sometimes. I just imagine Jesus gets it and is like, that'll do. Lifts it up and speaks a good word about it. Gives thanks, expresses his gratitude to God. And we see that not only was every person there fed, but they were well fed. Can I encourage you, church? Bring whatever you have to God. What do you have? You might say, hey, listen, I, I don't have a large bank account but I've got some time I can invest. I may not have the ability to to lead a church, but I can lead my neighbor to Christ. I'm not eloquent with words. I can't teach a class, but I can teach my children. What do you have? You might say, listen, I've got a criminal record, but I've got a second chance. I don't have much I can give, but I can give God the second chance that I've been given. I want you to notice something about the disciples. This is the the funniest part to me. Jesus says, you feed them. They don't have any food. They don't have any food. The only thing they could find was one little boy's lunch. That's it. So I love this. Jesus says, you feed them. They don't even have that. We look at this and we're like, wow, that's definitely not going to do it. They didn't even have this to begin with. And I love this. The, The story goes even a little bit further. The Bible tells us in the Gospels that Jesus actually at this time, he was grieving because his cousin John had just had his head cut off. And John's disciples come to Jesus and tell him, hey, your cousin, they executed him. Jesus is in grief. The Bible tells us why he wanted to go away. He wasn't just trying to get away from the crowds that were pressing in. He was trying to go somewhere to be alone and just grieve. So they're in the middle of nowhere because that's where Jesus went to grieve. And the disciples, they don't have food. They don't have the money to buy the food. They didn't have, even have the little boy's lunch at first. And I love this right here. Check this out. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, This is what Jesus said to the disciples before they went to this desolate place. He said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. The story gets so good. I love it. Jesus says, you feed them. Where are we going to get the food? We don't have the food. There's not even a town nearby to go and get the food and bring it back. And if there was, how would we get the food and bring it all back for 20,000 people? Jesus, we don't have food. We don't have money. In case you haven't noticed, Jesus, we haven't even had a chance to eat yet. We don't even have time. I love that. Sometimes God will use 
what you feel like is just the bare minimum, the rock bottom. And if you make that available to him, wow, wow. So I want to encourage you, you may not feel like you have much that you can give to God. You may feel like you've already ruined your chance to give whatever you did have to God. Can I encourage you today? I want you to leave here inspired. I want you to leave here with courage to be able to go back to your home and say, what can I give you, Jesus? What can I bring to you? What can I put in your hands? I can't do much with this, but you can do anything you want to with this. Ooh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Write this down. God will not bless what you so desperately hold on to. Mm. If you're holding on to something thinking it's the last penny, if you're holding on to something thinking it's the last hope, listen to me. God will not bless something that you are holding on to for dear life. He can't. He won't. The Bible says that he had been shown no honor in his hometown. Therefore, he could not do any miracles there. There was no trust there. There was no faith there. If you want God to do something in your life, I think we should develop this attitude of praise and thanksgiving. Why? Because it puts our minds on what he can do, not on our limitations. Come on. We need to adjust our mindset here. God, I can't do it. If it's up to me, it's not happening, but you can. So I'm not going to hold on to this too tightly. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you work with it. I'm going to let you take the responsibility here. Here's what I have. It's yours. Do with it whatever you want to. Wow. Come on. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Why? Because our hands just can't do it. I'm not good enough. But if I would learn to give God what I had assumed was mine anyway, it's really not. Every good gift comes from who? God. So it belongs to who? God. Got to give it to him. Even if I feel like it's not enough, I'm going to bring it to God. All right, we got to talk about something. Can we talk about something real quick? Can we be real for just a second? Y'all ready for this word? Some, some of y'all are like, oh, this is a bad word. Tithing. <laughs> Tithing. Is it all right if I talk about that for just a second? We, uh, for, for a long time, we've uh, we put boxes on the, on the back walls near each of the doors where we can drop our tithes and offerings into. We've made it available where we can give our tithes and offerings online. It's the digital world that we live in these days but for some reason this concept of tithing has become a sour word in people's mouths it's become a thing that we're like ah, don't talk about that in church. it seems like every time I go to church they're talking about tithing can I share something with you is it all right to talk about it can I share something with you this is a biblical principle from God and it is for your benefit come on let me ask you this does God need what you have does he need what you have he, he could have snapped his fingers and made food appear in the laps of all of those people he doesn't need anything we have but he chooses to use what we have. Come on. Come on. <laughs> whenever God created, developed, however you want to say it, whenever God instituted this principle of tithing, it wasn't because God is like, oh, man, the bank account's running low. I don't know how I'm going to help those people over in East Texas. We're, we're, sorry, guys, we're running out of funds. You're going to have to hold on for a little while. Put your seatbelt on. He's not worried about the future. He's not worried about tomorrow. Why did he institute the idea of tithing? Because he wants us to learn a very important lesson. If I can put my faith in Jesus with my first fruits, then I can see God use it 
and the other 90% to do what I can't do with 100%. Is that okay to say? This is not a Calvary tabernacle or the church of Jesus kind of thing. This is God's idea. Look what he says in Malachi chapter 3. God is, he's real about this. Listen to what he says. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob, that is Israel, are not already destroyed. In other words, they should have been. Ever since the days of your ancestors, listen, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Listen to what he says. This is God. Should people cheat God? Pop quiz. Should people cheat God? I don't want to. <laughs> I sure don't. Yet, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Listen, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a... Come on, y'all, help me out. You are under a... Are we going to go there? You are under a curse. Why? Because it's all about faith. It's all about honor. If we refuse to honor God, if we refuse to believe in Jesus, let me, let me be very plain with you. You are cursed. I don't want to be cursed. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. Anybody in here want to be? Show hands? Nobody? Okay, good, 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 good. What Jesus is saying is this. That 10% is not even yours to begin with. Who is it due? It's due to me. It was mine to begin with. That is mine. You've held on to it. You've chosen. And listen, I, I have had moments in my life as a young adult where I was like, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month. I'm going to need 150%. And since I don't get that, I've just got to use 100% to get by. And what does God say? It's not yours. It's not yours. You don't get the option. It's not your privilege to say, I'm just going to use all 100% this time. I'll, I'll give you my tithe next month. This is what he's saying. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not trying to bash anybody over the head. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. By the way, I have no idea who tithes and who doesn't here at Calvary Tabernacles. So don't think, I, oh my goodness, Pastor Sam. But no, 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 none of that. Listen, this is a biblical principle from God for your benefit. Whew. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, watch this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. For who? Me. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's an invitation, right? That sounds like an invitation to me. Your crops will be abundant. Why? For I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed. They will speak good words about you for your land will be such a delight says the lord of heaven's armies that is a promise what did he say at the very beginning i am the lord i do not change i do not change <laughs> i i wanted to bring this up because it's going to be really hard for us to have faith in god for the big things when we don't show that we have faith in God with 10%. How am I going to trust God for anything in my life if I can't trust him with 10% and it's not even mine to begin with? 
this principle isn't because God is trying, hey, open your wallets, give me money. It's he's trying to instill a lifestyle of faith inside of us, church. Because if I can learn to trust God and say, hey, the bills are stacking up, things are going crazy, the car's breaking down, my children are in need of help, the culture and, and our economy is going wild, I feel like I don't have enough, but God, I thank you for what you have given me. And it belongs to you in the first place. And so I'm not going to sit here and think that I can cheat you and hold it back for myself or for what I think is good. I'm going to give it to you. It belongs to you anyway. Come on. I trust you, Jesus. This is a biblical principle. And I want you to understand. This, this is the encouraging part. Are you ready for this? Here's point number three. Understand that nothing is wasted. I love the country that I live in. I've, I've been to other countries, and it has given me a greater appreciation for where I was born and raised. Truly, truly. Can I be real with you? Just to, I'm not trying to talk politics. But my government is not the best at handling its money. Is that okay to say? And sometimes whenever I go to pay my taxes, I get like every other red-blooded American, bless God. And I, I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is this even going to? I've heard it before, like you, you earn money at your job or your business, you pay taxes on it, right? And then whenever you go to spend it, you have to pay taxes on it, correct? The company that you spend that money on has to pay taxes for receiving that money from you. And I'm like, where does it end? What are we doing with all this? Can I give you some hope and some encouragement today? You can trust God with everything that you have, knowing that nothing is wasted. What did Jesus say? He said, grab a basket and go and pick up the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Here's a, this is beautiful church. If you give it to God, he's not going to waste it. It's not going to expire. It's not going to spoil in his hands. If you give it to God, he's going to bless it. That's how he works. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But here's, here's the thing. I, I want to I say this too. <laughs> so in this story, we hear about the little boy with the bread and the fish. We, we are amazed by the multitude, the massive multitude that Jesus blesses with a meal. They weren't dying. No one's dying because they're not getting fed. But Jesus chooses to feed them, to satisfy a physical hunger. And we look at this and we're astonished. Wow, that's amazing. And we look at the end of the story where the disciples go around and they pick up the leftovers and put them in 12 baskets. You know the part that really strikes me as being strange? Let, let me frame this story for you one more time. Jesus' cousin had just been brutally assassinated. Jesus gets in a boat to go somewhere to be alone in grief and mourning. And as he's on his way, the towns surrounding that area hear that Jesus is going over there to that hill to be alone. Only let's go meet him there because we want to see him do another miracle. The Bible tells us the reason why they came is because they wanted to see a miracle. How shallow is that, church? But they show up and Jesus has compassion on them and he teaches them and he feeds their stomachs. He's so good. But I want you to think about this. Jesus left in a hurry because he was in grief. All of the people from the surrounding towns, they left in a hurry. The Bible tells us that they beat Jesus to where he was going to in a boat. They're running. We got to get there. We got to be the first in line. You think Taylor Swift is popular right now? You should have been there then. We gotta be there. I gotta get. I gotta get a front row seat. Let's go. They get there. 
where did the baskets come from? Who's like, oh man, hurry, we gotta go, let's go, come on, we gotta get there first. Remember, who brought things with them? Nobody. One, one boy brought lunch, that's the only food that they could find in 20,000-ish people. Where did the empty baskets come from? Who was bringing an empty basket with them to hear Jesus teach? Like, I, I, I'm astounded by the other parts of the story. This one right here, I'm just like, that. what? Where did that come from? They had empty baskets to pick up the leftovers in. And I, the Bible doesn't tell us why. It's not clear. It's, it's, it's not abundantly evident why there were empty baskets laying around. But I think it's fun to imagine. And I can imagine. Again, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just same wisdom's wild imagination going on here. But I can imagine people were thinking, I've seen him do miracles again. I'm running there because I'm about to see him do a miracles again. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to bring an empty basket. Why? Because I know that somehow, some way, God can feel it. Wow, church. Again, that's, that's just my imagination thinking. But I love it. I love the thought of it. Listen to me. God meets us in the space that we make. Are you thankful, church? What do you have to bring to God? What kind of space are you making available for God to come and feel? Nothing is wasted, so we shouldn't come to God with a complaint. I love, Brother Don, I appreciate you so much this morning. How can we come to church and just sit when God has done so much? When he has filled our life with every good blessing, when he has given us more than just a meal for our stomachs, but he shed his blood for us, our lives should be screaming, shouting, running, jumping. Thank you, God. I praise you, Jesus. We should be the people that say, I, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to bring a basket just in case. I'm going to bring it just in case he decides to do something, just in case he decides to move. If he moves, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be there. And God, I feel like I don't have much to give. My basket feels sure light and empty, but I've got a basket. I've got a basket. I don't have the food, but I'll bring a basket. I don't have a lot, but I'll bring my heart. I don't have much to give, but I can bring you praise. I can worship you, Jesus. Come on. God will meet you in the space that you make. Ephesians chapter 3, we're closing. Verse 20. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think if you know that's your God and you don't have a little pep in your step and you don't have a desire to worship you might need to check yourself at the door we've got a God who is infinitely powerful who blesses us who loves us who cares for us more than we could ever ask him and more than we could ever even imagine him to do Before you count yourself out for whatever imaginable reason you can conjure up, I want to remind you that God is good and he knows exactly what you're going through and he sees you right now, right here in this place and he knows the weight that is on your heart. He knows the burdens that you are carrying. He knows the anxieties that you're trying to run away from. He knows the insecurities. He knows the faults and the failures, and he still loves you. 
He still loves you. I want to read these four verses of Scripture. These are, this is the beginning of the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, that's heard the news about his cousin John being murdered, he left in a boat to a remote place to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is a man who's grieving. And he steps out of the boat and he sees you and he says, come here, come here. Mark says it in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke chapter 9, verse 11, Luke says it this way, but the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. John chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? I want you to notice how intently God cares for people, how compassionate he is for people, how welcoming he is, even with all that he's going through. He hadn't eaten in a long time. He hadn't had time to. He just got news, devastating news. He's in mourning. He's grieving. But as soon as he sees the people, y'all come close and listen. Let me teach you something. Are any of you sick? Come here. I'm going to heal you. The compassion of Jesus is overwhelming. And I don't want you to miss that because a lot of us, we will discount ourselves. We will say, God, I truly have nothing and I, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to, to receive anything that you have to give. Can I encourage you today? He cares for you. He cares for you. When Jesus first met Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me and I will show you how to fish for men, people. Can you imagine what's on God's heart? People. Jesus is hanging on the cross. His hour of death is just right around the corner. He's in agony. He's in pain. I can't imagine the words that were shouted at him, the angry looks that he received. I can't imagine the pain that was inflicted on his body. And as he is hanging from the cross, what is he doing? Hey, John, see this woman right here? It's my mom. Now she's your mom. You take care of her. What is he thinking about, church? People. What does he do? He looks at the thief and he gives them the promise today you will be with me in paradise. He's looking at his lovely mother and he's looking at a, a brazen criminal and he takes it even a step further and he looks down at his feet and he's looking in the eyes of the men who nailed him to the cross and what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Y'all, the compassion, the heart that God has for people, that means you too. Whether you're, we, we, we were talking about it in a, I poked my head in the youth Sunday school this morning. We were talking about Sister Peggy and, and uh, someone threw the joke out there like, you know, Sister Peggy, if, if, if you had to work to get to heaven, she would probably be the only one that would get there. Like she's just so incredible, so amazing. I mean, you look at her and you're just like, that's how I want to live my life. Of course, it's a joke, we know. But whether you're Sister Peggy or whether you are the most vile of sinners and criminals and, and your past is dark, Jesus cares and loves people.
Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to pray and be dismissed. Jesus cares for people. I want to encourage you this week to remember this. This this is why I wanted to share this message with you is because I wanted you to go into this Thanksgiving season with courage. The word encourage means to give courage. I want to give you courage this week to look at your life and your situations, your circumstances, whatever you're going through and say, God, I don't feel like I have much to offer, but what I have is yours. I thank you for it because it came from you and I give it back to you because you are good, because I know that anything in your hands is not wasted and I trust you with it, Jesus. Can we do that this week, church? Can we do that? Let me pray over you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we are grateful to know you. (laughs) To have the opportunity to know you is the greatest pleasure of our lifetimes. And God, I pray that we would not be so selfish as to try to hold on to the things in this world, but that we would choose to put our faith, our trust, and our hope in you, that we would be able to look at the things around us and say, God, it's not much, but I give it to you because you're worthy to be worshiped. You're worthy to be trusted, and I honor you. And God, I pray that we would begin to see with thankful hearts, with expressive hearts, God, that we would begin to see the miraculous things of God in our hearts, in our lives, every spiritual blessing, that we would be able to take hold of it, God, that we would not be content with living a a boring, dull, religious lifestyle, God, but that we would give you our hearts and trust you because you are good. We love you, God, and we want to express our thanksgiving to you this morning and this week, God. We are grateful for all you've done. We are grateful for the greatest sacrifice that's ever been given, your son, Jesus, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. Amen. I love you, church. Give someone a hug, but before you go, tell someone you're thankful for them. Let's do that. Love you so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. No services this Wednesday night. We'll see you again next Sunday morning.